to episode number five of College Sports Today here on WLRZ at 99.3 FM. I am your host, Hamilton Neal. Again, we thank you so very much for taking some time to join us here on the show this week. As usual, we have a ton of stuff to talk about, so much going on right now. We'll start things off by talking about Lenore Ryan Athletics. We'll have news from the Lenore Ryan basketball teams. We'll also talk as well Bears women's golf. We'll talk track and field. We'll also have some news from the Lenore Ryan volleyball team. Going over to college football, we'll talk coaching news, a lot of big stuff going on there. Lincoln Riley going to USC, Brian Kelly going from Notre Dame to LSU. Got some other news and notes to talk about as well. You're not going to want to miss that segment. Also, in college football, we'll talk results from week 13, and we'll also talk about the conference championship schedule coming up for this weekend. Ton of big games as this college football season is winding down, getting ready for the college football playoff coming up. And we'll finish our show with college basketball. We'll talk men's scores from the 2021 ACC Big Ten Challenge. We'll also have news out of women's college basketball as two UConn Husky superstars have secured more name, image, and likeness deals. But again, we'll start things off with Lenorine Athletics and the Lenorine men's basketball team. They fell to Limestone 74-50 on the road last Saturday in Gaffney, South Carolina. Iodata scored 17 points to pace Limestone. Ben Goller and Isaiah Owens added 16 and 15 points respectively. Sal Wilson led the Bears with 16 points. Nas Tyson and Kevin Kangu added 13 and 11 points each. Wednesday, the Bears took on Carson Newman and again fell by a score of 72 to 57. Thomas Bryant had a double-double of 14 points and 10 rebounds to lead Carson Newman. The Bears were led in scoring by reserve TJ Nesmith, who posted 18 points off the bench. With those losses, LR falls to 3-4 and four overall and 2-2 two and two in the South Atlantic Conference. The Lenoran women's basketball team fell to Limestone last Saturday afternoon, 72-70 on the road in Gaffney, South Carolina. Quinn Bird led the Saints in scoring with 23 points in 33 minutes of action. Reagan McRae and Reagan Cargo added another 29 points combined. The Bears were paced by the trio of Emily Harmon, Brandy Hudson, and Maddie Dillinger, who combined for 49 of the team's 70 points. Wednesday evening, LR fell to Carson Newman by a score of 80-65. Braylon Weichel led the Eagles' scoring effort with 23 points for the game. Carson Newman scored 42 points in the paint to only 26 for Lenore Ryan. They were also outscored on the bench 28-9. Brandy Hudson scored 18 points and grabbed 7 rebounds to lead the Bears, who now fall to 2-4 overall and 1-3 in South Atlanta Conference play. Lenore Ryan Volleyball senior outside hitter Taylor Prawl has been named the American Volleyball Coaches Association Southeast Region Player of the Year. She's the first player in program history to earn that honor. Prawl and teammate Rachel Buick were first-team all-region selections. This award, as voted on by the coaches in the region, was announced earlier this week. The morning unveiling of the D2 CCA all-region team was voted on by the sports information directors in the region. The South Atlantic Conference indoor track and field preseason polls and runners to watch were released back on Thursday. The Lenoran women's team was picked third in the league, and the men came in at fifth in the poll. On the women's side, Queens topped the poll with eight first-place votes. Queens and Wingus put the first-place votes on the men's side with six apiece. The conference also names athletes to watch for each team. For the LR women, cross-country All-American Janet Kwambai, sprinter Jordan Sheely, and thrower Becky Roche earned preseason recognition. 
For the men, returning All-American Jacob Wadsworth and All-Region performers Marlon Davis and Ellis Horton were named to the preseason team. The Bears opened the 2021-22 indoor season this upcoming weekend at the Bast Craigery Invitational in Salem, Virginia, and the Visit Winston-Salem College kickoff at JDL Fast Track. And the Lenore Ryan women's golf team has been ranked number 22 in the WGCA National Poll. Earlier this fall, the Bears came in at number 20 in the Golf Stat National Poll. The Bears finished up a strong fall season with a third-place finish at the Flagler Fall Slam. In that tournament, the Bears finished just six shots behind number two Limestone, who advanced to the NCAA quarterfinals in the spring. LR also finished three shots behind number seven Anderson and beat former number 20 Carson Newman by 23 shots. LR had three top three finishes out of five events in the fall season, including the third place finish at Flagler, a third place finish at the SAC Preview, and a second place finish at the Patsy Randleman Invitational. The Bears opened the spring season in Florida on February 14th at the LMU Spring Kickoff in St. Augustine. Again, a lot going on right now here at Lenoreine. Going back up to the men's and women's basketball teams, good efforts in their games against Limestone and Carson Newman, but not enough to secure the victories for the men's team. Just struggle some offensive performances. 50 points against Limestone, 57 points there against Carson Newman. You got some good individual performances. Sal Wilson, 16 in the game against Limestone. And TJ Nesmith really showed some good things in that game against Carson Newman with 18 points off the bench. It's just for these two teams, it's three or four players that are really getting most of the production. And you don't see the depth. You don't see the bench points on a consistent basis, really for both the men's and women's teams. Here with the men's squad, we know what we're going to get from Nas Tyson and Kevin Kangu and Jalen Johnson. Sal Wilson has been very consistent from game to game. If we can see TJ Nesmith continue to play this way, continue to step up and produce points, that's going to be huge for the squad because overall, they don't have as much depth. And Coach Sullivan doesn't play a ton of guys right now. So you get those two, three guys off the bench that can add a little bit, that can add 10 or 12 points and be glue guys for them and just add a little bit of punch there. That's going to go a long way because this offense, again, really struggled in these two games, combining for only 107 points in the pair of contests. So LR needs to get that offense going. They need to get a little bit more on that end. Defensively, they're not playing bad right now, but they're just not getting enough on the offensive end to keep themselves in these games and give them a chance to win. Again, it's still very early in the season. There's still a ton of basketball left to be played. They're just one game below 500 and at 2-2 two and two in the conference. So definitely a ton of time to pick things up. Early in the season, you want to get some wins. You want to get some confidence going. But again, the season is not over. There's so much basketball left to be played. And same can be said for the LR women. Those two games there against Limestone and Carson Newman, good performances. But again, just like we talked about with the men's team, you got two, three players that are really getting most of the production and you're not seeing much off the bench. Harmon, Hudson, and Dillinger, we've talked about those names all season. And they're some of the only names that we mentioned all season for this LR women's team getting point production. 49 of the 70 points against Limestone were from those three players. And you need a little bit more than that coming into each game. And that's really ultimately why they're falling right now, because they're just not getting enough. They need more players to step up. And we've we've talked about you know, Molly James coming off the bench. We've talked about some other players. There's some pieces there, but you just need a little bit more balance on your team. And, you know, they, they competed in these two games, unlike the men's team who did not compete in, in their games and scored just around 50 points in their games. The women's team did compete. They were in these games. But again, when you're being outscored 28 to 9 on the bench and when you're outscoring the paint 42-26 and those stats again from the, that game against Carson Newman, you're just not giving yourself a chance to win. So we'll see if these two teams can pick it up coming up as the season goes along. Again, 
the LR men's basketball team right now with a record of three and four and two and two in the South Atlantic Conference. The women's team two and four overall and one and three in conference play. Again, with Lenore on volleyball, Taylor Prawl and Rachel Buick both being named to the first team all region. This team in the NCAA playoffs, they've already advanced. They beat Francis Marion. Now they're into the next round. So there's a lot of good stuff going on with that program right now. We talked about them last week. They won the South Atlantic Conference Tournament Championship. Now they're moving on as so many of the teams here at Lenoran are in the playoffs. Women's soccer is in the playoffs. We'll talk about them more next week. We got this volleyball team here. We've got so many sports, so many teams competing at a high level right now. You've got the track and field team getting things started for the spring coming up and the women's golf team ranked number 22 right now in the WGCA National Poll. So that is our Lenore Ryan Sports segment. we got a ton of stuff going on here on campus right now. A lot of high-level competition, a lot of great teams in action. Now let's move over into our college football segment. A couple of different parts to this segment here on tonight's show. First, we're going to talk about news. we got a ton of big coaching news, as we mentioned at the top. We'll then go over scores from Week 13 and, as well, a look at the conference championship schedule for this upcoming weekend. But again, we're going to start with news from college football. Tons of movement has happened on the coaching front, and we're going to start with Lincoln Riley. He has announced that he is leaving Oklahoma to accept the head coaching position at USC. Riley posted an overall record of 55-10 and 10 in five seasons at Oklahoma, including a 37-7 and 7 record in the Big 12. He led OU to four Big 12 championships and three appearances in the college football playoff, guided by Heisman-winning quarterbacks Baker Mayfield, Kyler Murray, plus Heisman runner-up Jalen Hurts. His contract is reportedly in the $110 million range with a $1 million bonus. USC is reportedly buying both of his homes in Norman for $500,000 over asking. They're buying a $6 million home for him in Los Angeles and allowing unlimited use of a private jet 24-7 for him and his family. Decommitting from Oklahoma since Riley's departure are 2022 four-star linebacker Kobe McKenzie, 2022 four-star defensive lineman Derek Moore, 2022 four-star offensive lineman Demetrius Hunter, 2023 five-star quarterback Malachi Nelson, 2023 five-star wide receiver Brandon Innes, and 2023 four-star running back Trayon Webb. Possible candidates to replace Riley include Tennessee head coach Josh Heupel, Oregon State head coach Mario Cristobal, Clemson defensive coordinator Brent Venables, Ole Miss head coach Lane Kiffin, and Iowa State head coach Matt Campbell. This is one of the biggest coaching moves that we've seen in college football in quite some time. When you look at what Lincoln Riley accomplished at Oklahoma and all of the things that he did with all those great quarterbacks, Baker Mayfield, Kyler Murray, Jalen Hurts, reeling in tons of top-ranked recruiting classes, going to the college football playoff time after time, a lot of people ask that question of why. Why is Lincoln Riley leaving such a good thing at Oklahoma and now going to USC? Well, there's a lot of evident reasons why. He cited the fact that he wanted a new challenge. He had done a lot of great things at Oklahoma, but was just looking for a new opportunity, an opportunity that would challenge him, right? You know, going into USC and taking that head coaching position, it's one of the biggest jobs in sports. And it's also one of the toughest jobs in sports right now because this USC program is one that is so storied. They have such a great history and tradition. And that's another thing that Lincoln Riley has mentioned repeatedly as why he took this job. There will be pressure on him to win immediately. And there will be a very big challenge ahead of him because this is a program that is currently in college football purgatory right now. When you look at all those years with Clay Helton, middling as kind of like a 500 team, a good solid team, but not one that was great, not one that was even ranked in the top 25 in college football, they saw the need for a change and a huge change. They fired Clay Helton in season. And whenever a coach is fired in season, that says a lot about how that organization wants to move on and how that program wants to move on. This is the home run hire. Nobody thought Lincoln Riley would leave that job at Oklahoma. You know, with 
all the success that he's had there. We mentioned 55 and 10, 37 and 7 in the Big 12, three college football playoff appearances, all of those great quarterbacks, two of them Heisman winning QBs. It's the want to take on a new challenge for one of the most storied programs of all time. But again, it's going to be tough early on. He's going to have to build relationships with recruits. He's going to have to show guys, hey, this is maybe not what we are currently right now, but this is what we can be. And can you commit to that? And I think he's going to have great success. He's always been one of the best recruiters in the country. He has had strong ties to the West Coast, even when he was recruiting at Oklahoma. And one of the guys he pulled out of California to commit to Oklahoma was five-star quarterback Malachi Nelson at a 2023 ranked number two in the country. Since decommitting from Oklahoma, he has committed to USC, an immediate flip. And I wouldn't be surprised to see a couple of other guys make that move. If you're a recruit in that area, in-state, out there on the West Coast, you're really going to have to rethink your recruitment now because USC will probably be coming after you. And they're going to be much more appealing now. Guys were going out of state left and right. They had Bryce Young, the quarterback at Alabama, committed there at one time. He then decommitted and went to Tuscaloosa. That is what was happening too often with programs like USC and UCLA as well. You know, guys going out of state as opposed to playing for those programs. Once Lincoln Riley establishes a culture there, and establishes his coaching staff and shows those recruits what his vision is and what they can be, you know, that's what's, that's what's going to continue to happen. But I think he's going to have really good success. Again, like I said, always been one of the best recruiters in the country. And a lot of players, I think, are really going to be attracted to this program now. And they are banking on him providing results for them. You look at all the things that they're doing. They're buying the $6 million home. They're giving him a private jet 24-7 use for him and his family the contract 110 million with a one million dollar bonus they're going all out to get this program back to the top of college football and if there is a guy to make that happen i think it is lincoln riley and again he's leaving oklahoma to accept the head coaching position at usc another huge coaching move is with brian kelly he has announced that he is leaving notre dame to accept the head coaching position at lsu in 12 seasons with the fighting irish he posted a record of 113 and 40 overall Seven of those 10 seasons, Notre Dame won 10 or more games, including two appearances in the college football playoff in the 2018 and 2020 seasons. His contract with LSU is for 10 years and will make him north of $100 million with incentives. He will reportedly make $15 million per year. Again, just like with Lincoln Riley, very surprising move to see Brian Kelly leaving Notre Dame. But again, it's, I think, the desire to have a new opportunity, a new challenge, and to go into, again, as well, another storied program, and try to turn them around. You go back to 2019, LSU just won a national championship a few years ago. But since then, they've dropped off considerably, and they saw that need to move on, and they saw that need to bring a fresh face in there. And Brian Kelly has always been one of the best coaches in college football, one of the most respected men in the sport. He's going to bring a lot of great things to this team. He's going to bring that accountability. He's going to bring that credibility. He's going to bring that toughness that those Notre Dame teams always had. Not saying LSU didn't have those things before, but Brian Kelly has always had great football teams, and we've seen those characteristics in his teams, no matter what the record is. But again, for a team like LSU, just like USC, they expect to win big, and they expect to win big every year and compete for SEC championships and national championships. So you're giving him this 10-year contract, you're giving him $100 million bucks. you expect him to recruit at a high level, bring in top five recruiting class, build this team up, build this culture yet again, and start making that happen. They got to get something figured out at quarterback. Like what they have at that position right now is not getting it done. 
They had Max Johnson in there as the starter for most of the year. He played okay, but they got to get the quarterback situation figured out. They've got to recruit some playmakers on the outside. I think Brian Kelly's going to do that. I think he and his staff, they, they recognize how strong that region is for recruiting. SEC country is really where it's at. Recruits out of Florida, recruits out of Georgia. It's in within their own backyard where they're going to be able to, I think, get some big recruiting wins. So we'll see how things go there as well. Brian Kelly at Notre Dame for a long time had tremendous success, just like Lincoln Riley at Oklahoma. But both of these guys seeing the opportunity to coach some of the most storied programs in college football and two of the most named brand programs in college football as well. And that is why they're making these moves from Oklahoma and Notre Dame to USC and LSU. In other coaching news, the University of Florida announced Sunday that they have hired Louisiana's Billy Napier as their next head coach. The 42-year-old has coached Louisiana for the past four seasons and has won 10 or more games each of the last three seasons. Prior to his arrival, the Raging Cajuns had never won 10 games in a season. He was also targeted for the LSU and Virginia Tech openings. The former Furman quarterback coached under Dabo Swinney at Clemson and Nick Saban at Alabama. He was the offensive coordinator and quarterbacks coach at Arizona State for one season before landing the Louisiana job in 2018. Duke University and head coach David Cutcliffe have mutually agreed to part ways. The school announced Sunday. Cutcliffe spent the past 14 seasons with the Blue Devils, leading them to 77 wins with six bowl appearances and the 2013 Coastal Division Championship. Duke finished the 2021 season at 3-9 and nine overall, with eight straight losses to close out the year. The Blue Devils failed to win an ACC game for the first time since 2007. Duke associate head coach Trooper Taylor will serve as the interim head coach until a new coach is hired. So again, that is what's going on in college football just in regards to the coaching. We haven't even got to the stuff going on on the field yet. This is just when you're looking at coaching. Lincoln Riley, Brian Kelly making huge moves. I think Florida did a great job with their hire as well in Billy Napier, one of the great offensive coaches in the country and coaching a very good Louisiana program. He took that program and built it from the ground up. His other stops, as we mentioned, at Clemson, Alabama, Arizona State, his resume speaks for itself. Again, just like with LSU, despite recent success, there was kind of a stale feeling within that program with Dan Mullen, and they saw that need to move on, especially after the way that they played this season. They need someone to come in and re-energize things. Billy Napier, I think, is going to be that guy to get the job done. Again, just like at those other two programs, USC and LSU, tons of expectations to win big, compete for championships. So there's a lot of pressure. But this guy has been a part of the coaching staffs at top level programs like Clemson and Alabama. So he knows what it takes to win at the highest level of college football. And I think he's definitely going to do that here at Florida. And the end of an era at Duke with David Cutcliffe. Again, just time to move on for both sides. Things were not good for Duke the past few seasons. We mentioned eight straight losses to finish this season, three straight losing seasons as well. Things just weren't going too well there. Just time for a change there at Duke. We'll see who they bring in as their next head coach. Despite the lack of success the last couple of seasons for the Duke Blue Devils, David Cutcliffe, one of the most respected coaches in college football, one of the best leaders in all of the country, and we'll see what his next move is. He's going to take some time off, take some time with family, talk about it, and uh, then see what that next decision is, and we'll see what that next decision for Duke is as they look for a new head football coach as well. So that's what's going on in college football. All of that just in regards to coaching news. Now let's go over and take a look at some results from week 13 of the season, the final week of the regular season in college football. And we're going to take a look at four games here and break them down for you. All of these games that we're going to talk about had very big implications. And we're going to start with the game, Michigan and Ohio State. Coming into this matchup, Michigan ranked number five in the CFP Top 25, Ohio State ranked number two. This game and the result of this game was very surprising in the way that one side was able to dominate the other. 42-27, Michigan gets the victory. 
the first win over Ohio State in the Jim Harbaugh era for Michigan, the first win over Ohio State since 2011. Really, when you looked at this game, you kind of saw things going in Michigan's favor early. The first implication was the weather. It was snowing pretty heavy early in this game. Going on the road with a packed crowd, over 100,000 people, that's a tough situation to go into. You're a team like Ohio State. You got the crowd, then you got the weather, and the way that Michigan was able to dominate this game on the ground, that's really what propelled them to this win. 297 yards on the ground for the Wolverines compared to only 64 for Ohio State. Michigan is not a great passing team. Only 190 yards through the air, 159 of that from Cade McNamara, who went 13 of 19 on the game. They're never going to be a great passing team, but what they can do just as well as anybody in the country is run the football. And the guy that they fed consistently in this game was Hassan Haskins. 28 carries for 169 yards and five touchdowns. Blake Quorum, six carries, 87 yards as well. Again, just a dominant performance from this Michigan offense, not passing the football, but running the football. And in the cold weather in December, when you're playing in these big games, that's what you got to do. You got to be able to bring it consistently. You got to be able to control the game and control the clock in that way. Now, they didn't win time of possession. They didn't take a ton of time off all the time. They just methodically moved the football down the field. And their defense came up with some big stops in the red zone, holding Ohio State to field goals. There were a lot of different things as you looked at this game that really impacted the result. Ohio State's offense just never got into a groove. Even though C.J. Stroud passed for two TDs on 394 yards, just not enough on a consistent basis. Again, settling for those field goals on third down, only 8 of 18. This was the most strugglesome performance all season for Ohio State on the offensive end, and they were not able to establish a running game. When we discussed that win against Michigan State, and a reason they were able to be so dominant in that game was because they were able to get something going on the ground, as well as through the air. They didn't have that balance. Michigan was the team that had that balance. 487 yards of total offense, 297 on the ground. That's how you're going to win games. And now Michigan is up to number two in the CFP top 25. If they win the Big Ten championship game against Iowa, they are in the college football playoff. They're in perfect position right now. You kind of felt like this might be the year where there would be a new team coming out of this division. And Michigan's had good teams for a long time, just not good enough to beat Ohio State. This was the year they were able to pull it all together and make it all happen. Again, Michigan 42-27 there over Ohio State. In the SEC, second-ranked Alabama 24-22 over Auburn. This game went to multiple overtimes. This game was 10-3 late in the fourth quarter. Auburn in the lead. And with just seconds to go, Bryce Young leads the Crimson Tide down the field gets a touchdown pass late, and they send this game into OT. And then as you go into the overtime, you know, you're just going punch for punch. And early on, that's how it was. Both teams scoring. And then when it got to the two-point plays, Alabama was able to execute. Auburn was not. Auburn was playing with their backup quarterback in TJ Finley, the transfer from LSU. Played admirably in this game, 17 of 26, 137 yards and two touchdowns. But that lack of balance, very evident for this Auburn offense, only 22 yards on the ground. Alabama didn't play much better on the ground, only 71 yards rushing, 317 yards through the air. Bryce Young, 25 of 51, passing two TDs. Definitely not his best game, but what you love to see is the moxie, and what you love to see is the determination and the push and the drive to, even when you're not having your best game, which he has rarely struggled this season, to put it all together and to make it happen. Coming in, Alabama could not afford a second loss. They had already clinched the SEC West, but if they dropped a second game to an average Auburn team, They would have been out of the college football playoff mix. They are squarely in the mix right now. They dropped one spot this week to number three in the poll. If they are to win that game against Georgia, they're absolutely in. And even if they lose, 
in a close game, there is still a good chance that they will make it to the college football playoff. Again, I've made clear what my opinion is on a two-loss team that's not a conference champion being even considered for the college football playoff, but that's another conversation for another show. Again, the most important thing for Alabama is that they got that win and they're still in the mix for the CFP, defeating Auburn 24-22, Georgia up next in the SEC championship game. Going over to Bedlam, Oklahoma State and Oklahoma, number seven Cowboys, number 10 Sooners, 37-33, Oklahoma State with the win. Again, just like Michigan coming through and defeating that rival team that they couldn't quite get over in past years. Wild game throughout, especially late. Very good performance from Oklahoma State offensively. Spencer Sanders, kind of up and down in this game, 19-30, to 30, 214 yards, one touchdown, two interceptions, but he made the plays that he needed to make when he needed to make them. On the ground, they had 140 yards, striking a good balance, a good solid balance here in this game. They really locked down, especially in the second half. Caleb Williams, 20-39, 252 yards, three touchdowns, nearly led them on a game-winning drive to get them this W. Just missed on a few plays there late. Oklahoma State now is ranked fifth in the CFP Top 25 poll for this week. They are in the Big 12 championship game against Baylor. They're still on the outside looking in at number five. But I believe that if they win this Big 12 championship game, if they beat Oklahoma and Baylor back-to-back, that they have a very, very good chance of jumping Cincinnati. Even if Cincinnati beats Houston in the AAC title game and is undefeated. Because what the committee looks at is resume and overall body of work. And Cincinnati doesn't have that body of work on an overall level. And I understand the fact that, you know, they can't pick who they play in conference. They got the win against Notre Dame, and that's great. That's fine and good. But for Oklahoma State, if you get these two wins back-to-back and you are a one-loss team and a Big 12 champion, that that is an extremely strong case to get into the college football playoff. And I know I'm very much changing my tune from last week when I said if Cincinnati is an undefeated conference champion that they should get in. It's just about overall body of work, okay? And Oklahoma State would have that if they are, again, to win the Big 12 championship game there against Baylor. And our final game from Week 13, number 24, Houston, 45-17 over UConn. Quarterback Clayton Toon went 21 of 30 passing for 301 yards and four touchdowns. The Cougars racked up 472 yards of total offense, 323 passing, 149 rushing, most of that coming from Alton McCaskill, nine carries, 54 yards and one touchdown. Chandler Smith, eight carries, 38 yards, and a score as well. Two wide receivers won over 100 yards for Houston. Jake Herslow, five catches, 111 yards, and one touchdown. Jeremy Singleton, five catches, 100 yards, and a score as well. Houston is in the American Athletic Conference Championship game against number four, Cincinnati. They have moved up three spots in the poll from last week from number 24 to number 21. So that is a look at week 13 in college football. Going over to conference championship week this weekend, got a ton of really intriguing matchups, ton of great games to be played. In the ACC, we've got number 15 Pitt against number 16 Wake Forest. In the Big Ten, second-ranked Michigan taking on number 13 Iowa. It's a rematch in the Pac-12 conference championship game, number 10 Oregon and number 17 Utah. Those two teams played just a few weeks ago. Utah routing the Ducks there in the SEC, number one Georgia, number three Alabama. In the Big 12, as we mentioned, Oklahoma State and Baylor squaring off. Cincinnati and Houston in the AAC. In the Mountain West Championship game, number 19 San Diego State takes on Utah State. And in the Sun Belt, number 24 Louisiana will take on Appalachian State. Billy Napier is coaching for Louisiana in that conference title game before he heads off to Florida. So that is a very big look at college football and what is going on throughout the country in regards to coaching, in regards to week 13, a lot of very pivotal results that really made some things shake up, conference championship games coming up, lots and lots of stuff going on in the world of college football at this time. And we're going to wrap up our show now with college basketball. We'll talk men's 
and women's college basketball here in this segment tonight. We'll start with men's college basketball and the 2021 ACC Big Ten Challenge. This is one of the best interconference events that we have all season in college basketball. We got the SEC Big 12 Challenge. The Big East is not participating in events like this, but it's always the ACC Big Ten Challenge that really gets me the most excited because these are two of the best conferences in college basketball with some of the best teams in the nation. And we had some really exciting games, some really big results. So let's get right into it. Starting with Monday, November 29th, two games. Iowa 75-74 over Virginia. Illinois 82-72 over Notre Dame. To Tuesday, November 30th, Minnesota edges out Pitt 54-53. Syracuse 112-110 over Indiana. In double overtime, Purdue took down Florida State 93-65. Wake Forest down Northwestern 77-73. Number one, Duke falls to Ohio State 71-66. Over to Wednesday, number 22, Michigan State 73-64 over Louisville. NC State 104-100 over Nebraska. Virginia Tech by four over Maryland 62-58. Miami over Penn State 63-58. Number 24, Michigan fell to North Carolina 72-51. And number 23, Wisconsin defeats Georgia Tech 70 to 66. Those are all of the results from the 2021 ACC Big Ten Challenge, and we're going to go and look at some of these games and break them down a little bit for you because some of these games were just wild. Some of these games were just so up and down, so exciting. I want to start with the Syracuse-Indiana game. Syracuse 112-110 in double OT. The Bayheim brothers for Syracuse in this game. Absolutely outstanding. Buddy Bayheim 27. Jimmy Bayheim 26. The way those two played off each other and the way those two got things going, shooting the ball, we knew it was going to be a lethal night for Syracuse on the offensive end. And Joe Girard is part of that mix as well. 22 points. He's one of the best shooters not only on that team, but in the entire ACC, he's such a threat to knock down that shot from the outside. Jesse Edwards and Cole Swider, 17 and 14 as well. For the Cuse, for Indiana, Trace Jackson Davis was really the guy that carried them, as he has all season long and as he's going to throughout the rest of this year. 31 points, 16 rebounds. One thing that hurt them in this game was 25 turnovers to only 12 for Syracuse. They started to get a little loose with the basketball there. It didn't really hurt them going down the stretch. They were in the game the whole way. Just too much Buddy Bayheim and Jimmy Bayheim, Joe Girard, that trio is going to be hard for anybody to stop. I don't care who Syracuse plays. Whoever is on that other side defensively is going to have their hands full. Purdue, number two team in the country right now. Really, really complete as well across the board. In this one against FSU, Jay Nivey, 18. Brandon Newman at 13 points. Zach Eady, Isaiah Thompson at a 12 apiece. Sasha Stefanovic, 11 as well. We didn't even mention Trivion Williams in there. He was just outside double figures. You look at that core of players there. They're so experienced. They're so veteran across the board that any any team they play, any game that they come into, they're going to have a chance to win because of those guys. They're so well coached by Matt Painter. And I think this is the year that they really make that push into the NCAA tournament where they compete for that national championship. And with Duke's loss to Ohio State, they will be the number one team in the country coming up next week. Going over to Duke, this game against Ohio State, really a trap game. That's how I looked at it coming in. Ohio State is a very good basketball team. Started the season in the preseason top 25. They have a lot of talent across the board, including EJ Liddell, who in this game had 14 points and 14 rebounds. They got Cedric Russell as a transfer. Zed Key, sophomore, came up really huge for them in this game. Actually led them in scoring with 20 points. Again, well-coached team, lots of talent. Very similar to Purdue, this Ohio State team is really good, and they showed how good they are in this game. Down the stretch, when Ohio State was down by four or five points, they really showed a ton of toughness, a ton of resolve. They played great defense on Duke. They got an offensive foul on Paula Bancaro. They forced a couple errant shots by Trevor Keels, and they got what they needed in the last couple minutes. Eli E.J. Liddell had a really critical face-up jumper. Cedric Russell got to the free throw line. They were drawing fouls. 
they just did everything they needed to do to win. And Duke was not as fundamental down the stretch. And we're seeing over the course of each game for Duke that they're so reliant on Wendell Moore and Paolo Bancaro. 17 and 14 from both of them in this game. There are other guys that can step up and can produce for this team. It just hasn't happened on a consistent basis. And that's what I do fear for Duke going into the season. And as we continue to go through these games is can they get Trevor Keels into double figures nightly? Can they get Jeremy Roach and Mark Williams to have those type of performances? If not, Duke is not going to be in a good position. They are one of the best teams in the country. They're one of the most talented. I get that, and I understand that. But if they're going to be so reliant on Moore and Bancaro, and they're struggling to find offense from other guys, then games like this will come up again. So a lot of work to be done for Duke. Same can be said for Michigan. Really slumping right now. Since the start of the season, when they were ranked fourth in the nation, they've dropped three of their last five, and they're now four and three on the season. And dominated by a North Carolina team who hasn't been great this season. They've been good, but they just haven't quite hit their stride. This could be the game that really sets them off. Caleb Love, 14 points to lead the way. Dawson Garcia and Armando Baycott added 11 apiece. There's a lot of talent on this North Carolina team, and they're very well coached by Hubert Davis. They just need to find that identity, you know, what they're going to be as the season goes on. We knew what they were every year with Roy Williams. Great offensive rebounding, a focus on the big men inside. That was such a big part of their offense. Now it's more backcourt focus with guys like Caleb Love and Leaky Black. Now they do have a, a lot of good post talent. We mentioned Garcia and Baycott. It's just not as reliant on those guys as it's been in other years. And that's why I think North Carolina will be much better this season than they were last season. So that's a look at the ACC Big Ten Challenge. A lot of really good games there. A ton of great teams in action. The Big Ten winning the challenge this year, eight to six. Again, another very exciting year of matchups and a lot of teams getting things set up and wins like this for teams like North Carolina and Ohio State that really needed a boost of confidence. That's going to go quite a long way. So again, that's what's going on in men's college basketball. In women's college basketball, we got some news. Next week, we're going to talk more about results and games, but here we have some big news in regards to name, image, and likeness. UConn Husky stars Paige Beckers and AZ Fudd have both signed new NIL deals. Beckers has announced her latest NIL deal. It is a multi-year partnership with Gatorade. Beckers, the first freshman to ever win the John Wooden Award, becomes Gatorade's first NCAA athlete partner. The company called Beckers the perfect addition to the Gatorade family in a statement. Becker's first NIL deal, also negotiated by a team of marketing agents at Wasserman and announced earlier this month, landed her a multi-year endorsement with sneaker marketplace StockX. Becker's is expected to be featured in national campaigns and community activations throughout the Huskies' current season. Fudd has announced she has agreed to a multi-year NIL deal with SC30 Incorporated, owned by Golden State Warriors superstar Stephen Curry. The unique and comprehensive partnership will focus on basketball, education, social impact, personal mentorship, brand development, and professional growth. Fudd has also secured deals with Chipotle and sports drink company BioSteel. She has also appeared in a commercial for TikTok. This is going to be a very, very interesting thing to see moving forward, again, in regards to what deals players can land and how all of that shapes out. This is a business now. These players are dealing with agents. They're dealing with people supervising. So the life of a college athlete now, definitely a lot different than it was. And overall, I think, again, a great thing for the sport. So Paige Beckers, AZ Fudd, both out of UConn, announcing new name, image, and likeness deals. So that is all that we have for you on this episode of College Sports Today, our fifth installment. We thank you so much for joining us again here on the show tonight. We hope that you'll join us again coming up very soon. We'll have more shows coming. You're not going to want to miss it. Thank you for listening again tonight. We will be back next week. I'm Hamilton Nail signing off. I'll see you then.